debtor to mercy alone. No greater truth has ever been spoken or sung. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We are quickly drawing near the end of this sermon by our Lord. We have seen him proclaim a lot of truth throughout this particular passage and these, uh, these three chapters that, that make up this sermon. And we saw him talk about the character of a believer, what happens when a person is in Christ, what kind of qualities, character qualities will be a part of their life. We've seen him talk about prayer. We've seen him talk about not worrying and not judging others by standards that are not biblical standards. We've seen the golden rule and all sorts of things. But last week we came to verse 13. And in verses 13 and 14, we saw his whole tenor change. He went from declaring what was truth and what was a part of our lives as believers to a serious warning. Warning that there was a narrow way and there was a broad way. And the narrow way leads to life and the broad way leads to destruction or to eternal death. Now he comes back this morning, what we're looking at this morning, verses 15 through 20, and he starts talking about several things. He talks about a tree and the fruit it bears. But you understand he's not worried about horticulture here. He's not worried about talking to us about trees so that we can plant better trees and, and understand when a tree is doing good out in the yard. Uh, and that's not his concern when he talks about trees and the fruit the tree bears. But rather he is merely using that as an illustration to talk about what he begins this section with, and that is in verse 15, beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And then he gets to the trees. He said, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's destroyed. So then, you will know them, know who? Them, the false prophets, by their fruits. You'll know prophets by the fruit they bear. Now, we have to be very careful here that we don't make a, a, an error from the very beginning. Because a lot of times... We hear people talking about the fruit of somebody being other believers, that they bear fruit by winning people to Christ, and that's their fruit. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the internal reality of what's taking place in a person's life. When you get over to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, there, uh, we'll look at in a few weeks on Sunday night, when you get to the fruit of the Spirit, he's not talking about fruit of the Spirit, that is people that are coming to Christ. He starts listing off character qualities that are evident in the life of a believer, evident in a true disciple of Jesus Christ, fruit that is borne out because there's a reality that has been put in by the presence of God, by the presence of His Holy Spirit. So fruit here is talking about what they look like and what they do and what they say and what they produce through their life. That's important to understand. Now I want you to see that he starts out with just a warning. He's very firm here. He says, beware of the false prophets. He doesn't say, now be on the lookout because there might be a false prophet or two out there. 
He doesn't say there's a, a chance that somewhere down the road there could be a false prophet. But he starts out by saying emphatically, beware of the false prophets. He's saying there are false prophets. You will come in contact with false prophets, and you need to beware of them. Beware is a warning of danger. Beware is a warning of trouble that lies ahead. And he's saying you've got to be watching. You've got to be discerning. You've got to know what is characteristic of these false prophets. You know, it's interesting that some take go back to, to the verse that we looked at, you know, about not judging. Uh, back in uh, verse, seven, verse 1 of chapter 7, do not judge that you will not be judged, and, and they want to make that the carte blanche thing. But what Jesus is saying here is, you be judging. You be discerning. Now, you don't judge by a false standard. You don't put yourself on a pedestal and say, you need to be like me, and if you're not like me, then you're not living up to it. No false standards. But he's saying here, listen, you need to be judicious in your understanding of what's being proclaimed and what's being lived out in these prophets, and by prophet there, they're not just, he's not talking about people that come and, and foretell the future. He's talking about those who come and proclaim. A prophet is a proclaimer. One who proclaims, if he's a true prophet, proclaims truth. If he's a false prophet, he proclaims error. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be judging here. You've got to be discerning here. You've got to take everything that's said and everything that's done by a preacher, even this preacher right here standing in this pulpit this morning, and you've got to take what they say and analyze it and, and, and look at it in light of God's Word because that's the only standard that matters. And we'll see in a little bit, if it varies from that, what you ought to do. There is a danger that Jesus is presenting. Now, you may look at that and say, well, that's good that Jesus in this little sermon says in one verse, beware the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. But do you realize that the Bible is filled with warnings about false prophets? Ricky read this morning, Brother Ricky read this morning in the, in the uh, scripture reading. He read out of Jeremiah where God is warning the people in Jeremiah's day, about false prophets. I love how he says it. It's, it's kind of scary if you really think about it. In chapter 5, verses 30 and 31 particularly, and by the way, this is going to be a Bible drill this morning. So uh, you might want to just jot down the passages and, and look at them later instead of trying to flip and, and jump around with me because you won't be able to follow me, I don't think. I'm not even going to flip. I wrote all of them down, so I'd have them in front of me. But in verses 30 and 31 of Jeremiah chapter 5, Ricky read it. It said, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it. That's the horrible thing. The people are saying, man, this is great. The prophets are telling lies. The priests are doing their own thing. They're not obeying God. But it's, the people don't rise up and say, why are you not obeying God? Why are you not following his word? The people love it. But what will you do at it, with it at the end, Jeremiah asks, and God asks through Jeremiah. You know, that's the, that's the danger in our day, I think, that we're living in a day when the prophets are prophesying falsely, the priests are, are those who are, who are ministering the word. We don't have priests today in the same sense. But they're doing on their own authority. They're saying, we'll worship however we want to worship. We'll do whatever we want to do. Rather than saying, what has God said? And the prophets are proclaiming falsely. The priests are operating on their own authority, doing their own thing. And the people are saying, man, this is fun. This is easy. This is good. So easy. You know why it's easy? Because the false prophets are those who say, here's the way, and it's a broad way, 
And it's an easy way. And it's a way that anybody can get on and anybody can follow. Just come follow me. The false prophets, Jesus ties in very clearly in this passage with the broad way that ignores the narrow way and leads to destruction. There are other places all through the Bible where the prophets, uh, false prophets are warned about. In Deuteronomy, way back in the, in the beginning, in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he has spoken to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words that the prophet or the dreamer of dreams says. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if, you're, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him. And you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord, your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. He's come to seduce you from the very way which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Listen, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes and says, Hey, I've got this new idea, this, this dream I had, this vision I had from God, and this is what God has said, and you ought to follow it. And somehow he does some kind of miraculous thing. He, he works the work, and poof, it happens. And, 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 and he says, Now, come and follow these false gods, follow these false idols. God says, Even if he performs a miracle, a wonder, a sign, don't follow him if his counsel is contrary to my word. If his counsel is contrary to God and God's truth. Or 2 John 1.7, that little epistle that John wrote, for many, in, in, in verse 7 it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there are a lot of people who say, oh, Jesus was just a phantom, or he just looked like he was a man, or, or Jesus was just a man. They don't acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came in the flesh. That person is a deceiver. Be done with them. Or Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but their own, of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unexpecting. False prophets are smooth. They flatter. They, they make you feel good. They, they tell you how good you are. But he says they are lying to you because you're unsuspecting. Or 1 Timothy 4.1 where Paul says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, doctrines of demons won't necessarily parade as a doctrine of a demon. It won't say worship Christ, become a satanic follower, do, do a pentagram on your forehead or, or whatever. But a doctrine of, of demons is anything that pulls us away from the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of God's word. And so 
Paul tells Timothy, watch out for these deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Or 2 Peter 2.1. Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Or 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John says, listen, just because somebody says, oh, the spirit told me this or that or the other, don't believe it. Because you must remember there are two spirits at work in this world. There is the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. There is the spirit of truth, he's called in other places. And there are demonic spirits. There is the spirit of the great Satan who desires to pull us away and to pull us into error and pull us into false beliefs. And so John says, listen, don't believe every spirit. I had somebody tell me not long ago, well, the and they told me about something that was totally contrary to Scripture. And they said, but the Spirit led me to do that. And I said, I don't doubt that for a second. I believe the Spirit led you to do that. But it wasn't the Spirit of God. It wasn't the Spirit of Christ. It was a demonic spirit. It was an evil spirit. And they have led you to somehow buy into the lie that I'm doing what God wants me to do because I felt a Spirit leading me. Folks, the evil spirits will seek to deceive you and lead you astray at every turn. So the warning is there, and I've just given you a taste of it. The warning is there throughout all of Scripture from Old Testament back in the law on into the, the, the New Testament epistles and including Jesus in the Gospels saying, listen, beware of false prophets. Well, how do you know a false prophet? How do you define what is a false prophet? Well, Jesus goes into depth here talking about fruit. You know, you don't, you don't get grapes off of thorn bushes and you don't get figs from thistles and good trees bear good fruit and bad tree bears uh, bad fruit and you can't have a good tree produce bad. And, I mean, it's, it makes it eminently clear over and over and over again as he uses that illustration of the tree. But again, here's the reason you cannot... You cannot say, well, the fruit here is followers. The fruit here is the number of converts that they bring along with them. Because I'll tell you what, in our day and time, many times it's the deceivers and it's the false prophets that have the greatest following. Because what Jeremiah said, the prophets falsely prophesy, the, the priests do it on their own authority, and my people love it. Because the false prophet says, the broad way is the easy way. I'm coming as a prophet from God. Follow me and let's go down the broad way, the fun way, the happy way, the cheerful way, and we'll do our own thing. Now, somebody challenged me last week uh, after the sermon. Friendly challenge. And they were right. Because I made it sound like the narrow way is not a fun way. And there's no enjoyment in the narrow way. And the broad way is the fun way. I understand that there is great joy and there is great happiness in following the narrow way of Christ. But it doesn't appear that way so to the worldly mind. The worldly mind thinks, hey, it's really a drag to be a Christian, man. It's really a drag to follow the narrow way. It's so confining. It's so limiting. I want the broad way because, man, it's fun. I want peace and love and happiness that looks like it's just everything that there is. And 
Paul says and Jesus says and Peter says, that's a false prophet. They're giving you bad fruit and making you think it's good fruit. And when you eat of it and think you're eating the good fruit, you realize it's bad fruit. But by the time you realize it, it may be too late. You may have been so deceived. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. You see, signs and wonders are not evidence of a true or a false prophet. You know, it's, it's a matter of, well, they did all this. They, they did these healings that appeared or they did this whatever and so they must be of God. Not necessarily, Jesus says. Jesus says, unless their teaching and unless their doctrine and unless their moral lives live up to the standard of God's word, they can do all sorts of miracles, all sorts of wonders and signs. And they're still false prophets. Or Jude 1.4. Actually, there's only Jude 4. because There's no, no second chapter there. But in Jude verse 4. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. You see the deceptiveness there, the, 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 the shroud of secrecy? They've crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. There's some who've crept in and say, oh, I got the grace of God, and their lives are filled with licentiousness. Their lives are filled with licentiousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means do whatever I want to do. There are no limits on me because I got the grace of God. And God's grace has covered me, and the blood of Christ has covered me, and the righteousness of Christ has covered me, so I can do all sorts of immoral things and do it in the name of God. Listen, Jude says... That is a deception from hell. That is a deception from those who come in and said, in doing that, they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I think one of the things Jude is talking about here is they probably talk a lot about Jesus as Savior. But they deny Him as Master and Lord. You know, I'll just take Jesus as Savior. I'll just, you know, I just want Him to save me from hell, when I die. And you know, everybody wants to be saved from hell. But not everybody wants to be saved from sin. It's a big difference there. Be saved from sin right now. Not just saved from hell in the end. So, so Jude warns against that. They deny the lordship of Christ. They deny the master that he is the master. In other words, they, they will not be slaves. They will not be slaves of Christ. They just want to get along for the ride, sleep in, uh, slip in, not sleep in. Those are a lot of Baptists. But they want to just slip in, uh, and they're ungodly, and they twist the grace of God. Or Colossians 2.8, which we looked at in depth when we looked at, worked through the Truth Project earlier this year. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The false prophet will be very religious. The false prophet will use all sorts of religious language. But the false prophet will have its own, his own philosophy or her own philosophy rather than pre preaching and leading to the lordship of Jesus Christ.
by definition, they're just those who want to destroy what Christ is doing in reality. Sometimes they may even do it unbeknownst because they've not followed the Lordship of Christ and they've been so seduced and so misled. As a matter of fact, Scripture speaks of basically three kinds of false teachers or false prophets. The Scripture speaks of the heretic. The heretics openly reject the Word of God and, and teach contrary to divine truth. The heretic is the one who says, Christ is not the Messiah. Man, you must save yourself. You are your own determiner of your own destiny. And you must live a good life. And if you live a good life, God will put you in the balance. And, and everybody will be saved in the end. I mean, you know, there are all sorts of, of, of uh, if you will, manifestations of the heretic. Some in other religions who deny Christ. And some who are just pagans out on the street who deny Christ. Who think they are their own God. The heretic. There's the apostates. The apostates are those who once followed the truth, but have now turned away from it. They've rejected it. They're trying to lead others away. I can show you some apostates in Baptist life. Uh, I've got some books back there on my bookshelves that I collect of, of apostates. Men uh, who once said, I believe in Christ, and they taught the truth of Christ, but by their own lifestyle, they have led themselves astray, and now by writing, they're trying to lead other people astray. One of them hometown is Somerset, Kentucky. Used to believe, used to preach, used to proclaim Christ. And now he denies the word of God. He denies the atonement of Christ. He denies everything about it. He's an apostate. He's turned away. Never had it, John says, because they never would have left us if they really were one of us. But they left us because they never really were of us. To some degree, the heretics and the apostates you have to appreciate because at least they're honest. They at least say, this is what we believe, and this is what, and you can see that. The other word that Scripture uses to define false teachers is a little less obvious. They're the deceivers. We've heard that used through some of the texts I read earlier. They give the appearance of orthodoxy, but they mix in just a touch of error here and there, just a little bit that's not quite right, but they would never want to be known as, as an apostate or as a heretic. I can name you some of those that are standing in pulpits even today. They, 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 they want to appear to be orthodox. They want to appear to be, you know, proclaimers of Christ. But yet in many ways in their own lives, in their own preaching, in their own teaching, they are deceiving people into thinking this word really isn't the word of God fully. It contains some of the Word of God, but we have to discern. We have to, here's where they do allow you to be judgmental. We have to be judgmental in this, and we have to look at it and say, oh, well, surely that's not, that doesn't agree with what I agree with, so that can't be a part of God's Word. They're deceivers, and they're deceiving, and they're leading many astray. Paul said to the Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, he said, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Paul says, I'll not surprise you. Satan, the most evil spirit 
the darkest spirit there ever has been. He doesn't come to you as a dark spirit. He comes to you as a spirit of light. A spirit of enlightenment in order to lead you astray. So it's any wonder that his servants would profess one thing and then live another. I, I've used this illustration before. You see it in the grace notes, I know. But, you know, they, they kind of come to you and they say, oh, but 90% of what I say is the truth. It's the other 10% that you need to worry about. And a lot of us say, well, you know, most of what, I've heard them say about some folks on TV, well, you know, most of what they say is true. Most of what they believe is true. But what about the other part? Maybe 10%, maybe just 5%. That's not true. That's where the danger lies. If I were to, if you were to get a letter today from your water company, this illustration I've used, and, and they said to you, now listen, uh, we want to let you know we've had a little break in the line and some, uh, you know, some feces from farm animals have kind of sleeped in and it's gotten mixed in everything, and our filtration is our fil- filter plant is not working exactly right. But we want you to know we tested it, and coming out of our treatment plant, the water is ninety percent pure. You'd say, well, "I don't care. I'm not going to drink that water." It, but it's ninety percent pure. There's only this ten percent that has animal feces and stuff in it. It's no big deal. You just you just kind of enjoy the ninety percent because it's ninety percent pure. You'd say you're out of your ever loving mind. I'm going to boil it. I'm going to pour purification stuff in it. I'm going to if I have to have that water, I'm going to do the best I can to get that ten percent out. Sadly, we live in a day where we look at false teachers and say, well, they're, they're 90% pure. They've only got 10% of error in their teaching, and, and you know, I like some of the 90%, so I'll just go ahead and, and listen to them. Jesus said, I want you to know one thing. That's more deadly to you than drinking only 90% pure water. It's more damaging to you than drinking the water that has 10% error in it or 10% impurity in it and listening to people who have 10% impurity in their teaching because they mix it all together, and it's sometimes hard to discern between the, the good and the bad. Well, what are some tests for a, for a, for a prophet or a proclaimer of, who proclaims to be speaking for God? What are some tests? Well, I think there's several we could look at. There are four doctrinal tests. Generally speaking, the false prophet, false preacher, teacher, avoids preaching on such things as the holiness, righteousness, justice, and wrath of God. You know, I asked somebody not long ago, I said, a pastor friend in another state, I said, and we've been friends since seminary, we don't see eye to eye on some theological issues, but I said, let me ask you something, when is the last time you spoke, just, you don't have to have a whole sermon on it, but you just spoke of the holiness of God? And he said, oh, I don't know that I ever, that I haven't, I don't know if I ever have. So what do you mean you don't know if you ever have? He said, well, you know, that makes people uncomfortable. Think about a holy God. I mean, if they think about a holy God and they realize what they are, they realize they're not that, and it kind of makes them fear God and get uncomfortable. Now, I went a step further. I said, well, have you ever spoken of the wrath of God? Oh, heavens, no. He said, I want my people to understand that God is love. 
Now let me ask you something. Is God love? Sure He is. It's an absolute truth. I mean, you know you have to discern it out of various scriptures. John says, for we know that God is love. Period. End of story. Is God only love? No. And if you take one attribute and say, this is all that I'm going to concentrate on who God is, you give a distorted view of God, you give a false view of God, and you become a false teacher, a false prophet. I told this friend, I said, you know, you're a false prophet. <laughs> he took it not very well, but we're good friends, and so we laughed and then talked about it. I hope he left thinking that it is false to not proclaim God in his clarity from Scripture. Second thing the pro false prophet does, he avoids preaching uh, on the day of final judgment. The false prophet really doesn't want people to think about the day of final judgment because they, they, just wanna, they usually talk about how God is such a loving God that it leads to universalism that does away with the need for a final judgment. Or thirdly, they, they fail to emphasize the fallenness and the depravity of man. A false prophet likes to tell people how good they are and how nice they are. And how acceptable they are to God. The false prophet would never talk about man being fallen in his very nature. And he's depraved to the very core. Every area of his life, every, everything that touches his life is filled with depravity. And the only way to, there's only one way to, to have that dealt with. They don't talk much about the depravity of man. Mankind. And the fourth False prophets tend to de-emphasize the substitutionary death and the atonement of Christ because they don't emphasize the fallenness of, and depravity of man. They don't emphasize the substitutionary death and atonement because that's the only answer for that. But they, they more talk that man can deal with himself. Now, false prophets talk a lot about God. They love to talk about God, but not about Christ as Redeemer. Savior, as a ransom from heaven, like we sang about earlier. You know, the oldest writings, just almost as old, but not quite as old as the New Testament, written just a few generations after the Old Testament, was a book called the Didache. The Didache, one of the earliest of Christians' writings after the apostles' time, had a section in it that was completely de dealing with false prophets. It was interesting because they had a word that, that they called false prophets. They called them Christemporas. Christemporas. Christemporas literally means Christ merchants. They, they used Jesus and his gospel as a means for self-gain. Now I want you to listen to what the Didache said. This is back probably in the second century at the latest, perhaps even in the early first century. I want you to listen to what they said about several distinguishing marks of true prophets and false prophets. Just three of them. The true prophet, the Didache said, the true prophet would not remain as a house guest for more than two days because he, had, uh, he would need to be up and about doing his work. He had the work of the kingdom in mind. He wouldn't stay for more than two days. He had to be out traveling on proclaiming the word of God. The false prophet, however, the Didache said, would stay indefinitely since he has no real mission to accomplish except serving his own interest. Uh, 
And if you're making him comfortable and you're feeding him well, hey, this is where I want to be. The second thing, the second test was in regard to asking for money. See if this rings true in the 21st century. The true prophet would ask for bread and water, but nothing more. The false prophet, on the other hand, is not the least adverse to asking for or even demanding money for their own use, for their own my ministry, you know. I've got to keep my ministry going. Listen, anytime you hear a preacher or a proclaimer talking about my ministry, don't give them a dime. It's not their ministry if they're serving the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his ministry that he has entrusted to him, and he's trying to do it for the glory of God and advancing the kingdom, not for his own advancement. But just send me $1,000, I'll give you four back. I think I heard you say that last week. Not on you, you were, you were quoting somebody, I understand. A third test is in the area of lifestyle, the Didache said. It said, a person who does not lead a life that corresponds to the standards he teaches is clearly not a man of God. Another test corresponding with that was in regard to the willingness to work. If a person wants to live off others and would not work for his own keep, he is a Christ trafficker. The Didache said. He's just a con man. He's just a salesman. And he's got a good product. I was in a leadership conference a few years ago. They brought in one of the top marketers in America. You would know his name if I used it. And he's a quasi-Christian, I suppose. And he came in to teach pastors on marketing. And his first statement was, and the last statement I heard in that meeting was, we have the greatest product in the world. Let's get out there and sell it. I had to go to the bathroom. And so I did. I mean, it's ridiculous. We don't have a product to sell. We don't have a person to sell. We have a gospel to proclaim. A gospel that says God created everything that there is. Man rebelled against that and fell into depravity and fallenness. But God in his grace and in his love has sent a savior to die as a redemption. To die as a ransom. To die as a substitute and a sacrifice in my place. And God by his grace has offered that and drawn to himself people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they bow before him. And they call him not just Savior, they call him Lord, they call him Master. And he changes their life forever. Paul said to the Corinthians again in 2 Corinthians 2.17, he said, For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. He said, we're not here to traffic this. We're not here to peddle this. We're not saying, oh, here's a, you know, I, I remember my, one of my favorite movies, uh, except for the language in it, is the uh, is a movie, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? You know, it's the play on, it's a, it's a, it's a set in the 1930s, the Odyssey and the Iliad of Homer, and, and it's just, I just, I can watch it every day if I could. I don't. But my fa- one of my favorite scenes that is disgusting is the guy who's the Cyclops, John somebody, 
And he, he stands up and, and he's talking to the, the prisoners that have escaped from the chain gang. And he says, brother, there's money in the word of God. And he's selling Bibles. He's a pagan. He's a thief. He's an adulterer. He's a crass individual. But man, there's money in the word of God. And so where there's money, that's where I'll be. There are a lot of people in our day that are proclaimers because there's money. The Didache says that ought to be a sure mark and a sure sign of a false prophet. You know, I'm, I'm asking you to pray for 30 days about giving, but I'm not asking you to give to me. Matter of fact, if you think I'm doing this because it'll make Bill feel good and make him happy, don't give a penny. It's not for my glory. It's not for my good. It's for the glory of God. That's why Grace Baptist Church exists. We don't want to peddle the word. We don't want to play down the word. We exist for the glory of God and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Jesus says beware of the false prophets. They're going to come in and they're going to look like shepherds of the sheep. They're going to put on sheep's clothing. Now, we tend to picture this as them putting on, you know, a, a sheep pelt of some sort and going around going, Bleh. and there may be some like that. But most of the time, I think what Jesus had in mind was they wear the wool of the sheep. They wear the garments of a shepherd. And they come in not as trying to be one of the sheep. They come in trying to be one of the shepherds because a shepherd leads the sheep. And these false prophets are going to come in and lead the sheep in their way, in their broad way, in their broad path, through the broad gate, because they are ravenous wolves. The wolf was the most natural and most hated enemy of the sheep. They're ravenous wolves. But boy, they look good. They dress nice. They smell good. They talk smooth. But their authority is not the Word of God. Their authority is not His absolutely inspired, inerrant Word, infallible in all that it teaches. If they deny that, they're just short steps away from denying the whole thing. Let's pray. Father, teach us to be discerning whether when watching a television preacher or hearing this preacher in this pulpit. Father, make us discerning of what your word says. And Lord, keep us focused on what you say, not what Bill Haynes says or not what some other preacher says. Lord, I pray that only what, that they would remember, this congregation that I love so dearly would only remember that which I say that is an absolute correspondence with your word. Father, keep us focused on you and on your truth.
Father, I, I want to pray this morning for men and women who are here, young people who are here that need to come to Christ. They don't need a religion. They don't just need a church. They'll need that as a family and support afterwards. But, but they need Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in their heart and their life right now to bring them to faith in Christ. That your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and show them their depravity and show them their sin. And break their hearts over it, Lord. Father, I pray for others who perhaps they've trusted Christ, but they've never proclaimed Him. They've never, they've never professed Him publicly and through baptism. Father, they've never said, I'm making this stand for the rest of my life to be a disciple of Christ. And, and they need to come and do that. Father, I'm praying for others this morning who need a church home. Father, I pray you work in their hearts and show them that grace is where you want them to plant their life and their ministry. Father, I just pray you do what you want to do, but Lord, I pray that everyone here would be obedient to what you're saying. Father, lead us by your Spirit to embrace your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.